Hello, welcome to Let's Talk Title with Emrico's Title Services. I'm Dion Moniz, one of your hosts. Our other host is Ashley Bowen. And today our special guest is Rachel Spencer, who happens to be one of our closing agents in the Dessen office. Rachel, welcome. Thank you. Excited to be here. So now, now you can't rag us anymore about not ever being a, a guest. You're right. Huh? I've been invited till today. <laughs> Rachel so. wanted to be a pod. Kind of invited myself. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> or your guests fell through, so Rachel's our sit-in. <laughs> so uh, episode 12. Today we're going to talk about some random uh, issues involving title that you two have been seeing lately. So uh, where do we want to start? I think is something interesting to kind of bring up that um, we had earlier this week was timelines um, on the Farbar contract. Um, I know on the Crisp contract, timelines end at 5 p.m. Um, but on the Farbar, it doesn't really specify That's when right. it ends. So what's, when's the last minute to get your earnest money in? So um, it specifies if your end date of the three days falls on a weekend or national holiday. But it doesn't specify if you do not end on one of those days. Right. So on Farbar, it says if the last day of the deadline is on a weekend or a holiday, then it automatically advances to 5 p.m. on the next calendar day. Uh, next business day. Next business day. Thank you. And so that to me implies that 5 p.m. is what you use as the cutoff for the deadline if it falls during a business day, period. But it's not a specific, whereas CRISP does say that, right? CRISP says all time periods will end at 5 p.m. local time, meaning in the county where the property is located of the appropriate day. CRISP isn't that specific. I mean, Farbar is not that specific. And you are Farbar's biggest fan. I am. We found a little so hole in Farbar. We did. Um, so that's something to think about. I mean, if, if you've got the timeline when the inspection report is due, um, mm -hmm. the, the buyer could really get that to the seller by 11.55 p.m. And still, it could be, be argued. Gray. It'll be gray, which is a lawyer's sandbox. Yeah, so the biggest, the reason why we're talking about this is we had an issue come up recently where... It was additional the, EMD. Yeah, there was an additional EMD due. The seller wanted to get out of the contract because they already had someone ready to come in and pay more, which is what we're seeing a lot of now with this market. And so these timelines are critical for the buyers to meet so they can't get kicked out of the contract. And so we had to debate whether or not if the wire didn't arrive before 5 p.m. that day, whether that was grounds for the seller to nullify the contract and figured out that the far bar, unfortunately, is not specific. I would argue that based on the language about the extension that they intend the deadline to be 5 p.m. However, if it is, as long as it's before 11.59 p.m. that day, I think it's subject to litigation. Um, so, it might be a good idea on a far bar whenever in this day and age when time periods are critical that maybe you put some language in there that says, you know, <clears throat> all time periods end at 5 p.m. or midnight or just make it clear. Or if you're on buyer side, just make sure you get everything done and in by 5 p.m. that day and don't count on it being the full 
but sometimes you can't you can't help it you know like this yeah. guy with his wire from his investment account eight o'clock that morning he was trying to do it and we still didn't have it and so, so that's yeah go ahead well i was gonna say when that's bad too then because there was one with the original Yindi, and then the addition so it's two this week we've had a crazy week that was a problem. at emerald coast title services <laughs> <laughs> Well, and the other thing, too, is if you can show that the wire was processed in time, but being delayed because of issues with the Fed, I think that's a whole other situation. I think the buyer can show that the buyer made good faith to get the EMD within the deadline, but for reasons outside of the buyer's control, it didn't arrive. So I don't know that a court would go, oh, sorry, it didn't hit the, the uh, closing agent's account by that time. I can think we call the Federal Reserve... Um issues like force majeure, Dion? <laughs> I mean, yeah, arguably you can. It's circumstances outside of either party's control, so. And it's an act of God when it comes to the Federal <laughs> Reserve. Well, well but what, right. if, what if that issue is because of a holiday, which is stated that then it falls to whatever time you should specify the next day, right? Because that's what you're referring to, federal issues, as far as if they're sending wires that day, depending on... Or are you saying no, just, just errors because, of the bank being closed or well, for whatever shutdowns or... It was just taking forever. Yeah, just the time to get through gotcha. all the Fed. It's hours. Sometimes, sometimes it's right. two hours. Sometimes it's six hours, yeah. depending on Or sometimes it's the immediate. situation. Yeah. yeah. Okay, right. well, that was our first one. Our first issue of That the one's day. done. Okay. What's next? Um, dead people. Do you see dead people? I saw a dead person this yeah, week. Yeah, this week. Mm -hmm. Well, we wish you saw them. It'd been a lot easier. <laughs> saw the issue. That's so true. We didn't see them. We saw their personal representative. <laughs> Luckily, they had one. Um, so we had a an issue on a uh, closing this week where um, there was never a satisfaction filed for a personally held mortgage. Um, it was like seller financing. Um, an individual held the mortgage. There wasn't a satisfaction filed at the previous closing, so we needed to get a satisfaction recorded. Um, and so it turns out that the mortgagor, mortgagee, was deceased. Um, mortgagee. The mortgagee, that's yeah. right. Yeah, that, that always tricks, tricks um, me up. So that was, that was an issue. So what happens when something like that happens if, the, if their estate had not been probated um, in the county where the the property was located, then we would actually have to open up a probate case um, to name a personal representative who can sign on behalf of the estate to satisfy a mortgage. So this had been probated in Georgia, but not in Florida. Yes. And so then you can do a quicker probate where you take those documents out from the Georgia County, get them recorded here, and have one of our local judges sign off on it, um, placing the personal representatives so they can then sign a satisfaction. It's a lot of work for one piece of paper. Yeah, really. In the end. <laughs> so it's better to have deals that don't involve dead people. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's our takeaway this Stay this alive. Week. <laughs> <laughs> Stay alive, everyone. But if there are dead people involved, then that's something that we can help with. And we have... Luckily, we have Jane Kerrigan, who exactly. is um, a great probate attorney and can answer our questions and get things through fast. Uh, I found out that Walton County Probate Court is a lot faster than Okaloosa County, so if you are gonna die, do it in Walton County. <laughs> <laughs> or have your property be in Walton County. Divorces are faster in Walton County too. Are they? So if you're gonna die or get divorced, do it in Walton do it in County. Walton County. <laughs> Taking note. <laughs>
Let's, no. let's, let's talk about voluntary HOAs. What the heck is a voluntary HOA, Rachel? A voluntary HOA is an HOA that is voluntary. Voluntary. You can pay the dues or you can not. But but typically, isn't it where when there's a voluntary HOA, it's still established, right? Like it's still the covenants are recorded. It's just in that it says pay if you want to or you don't have to. Yeah, if you don't pay, then you don't get any of the benefits. So it could be like a swimming pool use right. or get your yard cut by the yard man. Right. And granted, until this week, I've never seen a voluntary HOA in existence. There are some in Niceville. So, yeah, I have. Okay. But they're like $100 a year as opposed to $200 a month. Yeah. So I guess the, the bottom line there is if it's voluntary HOA, just know that if you don't pay the dues or the assessments, you're not going to get use or benefit of the common areas that are owned by the HOA, right? I mean, that's kind of the but the big thing to it. But if you pay, you are now subject to that HOA and you could also owe dues on things that assessments or things that the HOA decides you have to pay on that you may not, I don't know, legal fees if something happens or I don't know, what's another example of something, an assessment, a roof, HOA, condo roof. I doubt a condo would have a voluntary HOA, but. Paving the roads yeah. or the parking lot. Right. Yeah. Also a thing this week has been um, expired covenants, speaking of HOAs. Well, that's, that's a thing. Um, so, and this actually gets brought up quite a bit. People ask us questions like, it's at one point there was an HOA, is there one? Can you tell me, you know, is there one? So what we have to do is look in the public records, look at that um, restrictions and covenants of the HOA. And if that document was recorded more than 30 years ago, then the HOA Act, um, there's some... It's MARTA. MARTA. The Marketable Record Title Act. MARTA. The MARTA. Tell us. You rode that in Atlanta. (laughs) You you do. You do. Um, But according to MARTA, the HOAs expire after 30 years unless there are certain things that are recorded to keep them still active. Right. And then... um, the homeowners can revitalize that HOA, um, but that's always a good thing. If you have an old um, community and you're wondering, do they have any active HOA, then you, that's a good place to look to start as those covenants and look at the date they were recorded. Yeah, because we have had situations, uh, well, our lawyers in the firm that handle association issues have had situations to where the association's expired, but no one really realizes it. So they're still paying dues, and some someone new comes into the community, and they're like, I'm not paying because there's no more association. And the, then everyone's scrambling. The hard thing with that, I feel like, um, when you're a homeowner is you're telling me one thing, but sometimes I feel like when that's the case, it's so hard to prove what's actually going on because someone's telling you you owe dues, or and then you get scared of you know, liens being placed on your property or, and so like a situation we had this week, it's hard to find, okay, who do I reach out to, to know that this is, you know, to get the information that you need when it's these, especially with the voluntary HOAs, because it's usually just a a homeowner who's taking over the duty of telling everyone what they owe. And sometimes you don't know if they're legit or not. So I had a situation similar to that where it was on a commercial property and there was a, an association for several of these businesses. But the association, although it was still within 30 years, had been informally dissolved. 
And so I had to tell my client, I'm like, we don't know, there's no way for, no way for us to get an estoppel letter, but until it's been formally dissolved or that 30 years runs, technically the association is still in existence. And at some time, the owners can all get together and revive the association and then you're gonna to have to pay you know, the assessments and stuff going forward. So he had to make that calculated decision as to whether he wanted to buy this property that was subject to this somewhat or informally dissolved association. So something you gotta keep in mind. Well, I actually have this exact, that <clears throat> exact type of situation. Luckily, there's only two units in this association and they're both owned by the same person. But we just did a closing on it last year. He bought both of the units. Um, but according to the declaration, the common elements, the parking lot, is owned by the association, but mm -hmm. there is no association. So right now, technically, the owners of the unit own the common areas because they are the association. Right. But in order to properly get it all titled correctly, what's going to have to happen is we're going to have to reopen the association, pay the dues to SunBiz, um, and then deed out of the association into this guy's business name so that the parking lot is now owned by him and there's no question. Yeah. Leasehold property? Well, I was going to say that. I was going to say that brings up what you just said, who owns the land in Okay, so... 99-year um, so lease? Yeah, that's what we're talking about. Because Rachel had a question earlier, like, so why... Are, I said, why Why is a condo not always a leasehold? You don't own, you're not taking care of the land. You don't own, um, you just have an interest. Yeah, but, inside the, the sheetrock. But you yeah. also do own a fraction of the common element. Yes, that's right. So you own your unit plus a fraction of the common element. So you do own land. Um, but a leasehold is um, a lease, like... For example, Oakloose Island, um, and which includes Holiday Isle and Summit of Ar. Um, it's actually not called Oakloose Island. It's got a different name, Santa Rosa, Santa Rosa Island. Um, so there was a 99-year lease with a 99-year renewal that was given from the Board of County Commissioners um, to these developers to develop that land, and um, so that's all leasehold property. So it's not owned. Um, it's got like an expiration date. It does, it has an expiration date. And fee simple, which is your warranty deed. Um, like absolute title. It's, it's forever and ever. So. Yeah, but for many of those areas, including Oklahoma Island or Santa Rosa Island, whatever we're gonna call it, there's a conversion process that we can help with where it converts from leasehold into fee simple. And that so was just approved to, in 2017. And yeah. that's what the, the leasee gives a, a dollar amount that they'll transfer, that um, they'll convert that for? $500, you pay a $500 fee to the Board of County Commissioners, and then they and that's will- a, That's the same fee everywhere? Um, and on Oakless Island, okay. and, yeah, and Destin. So that's but there was some issue in Pensacola several years ago, I don't know if you remember, where that also was leasehold. And so they, the, they didn't want to pay their property taxes. Do you remember what that I don't was all that about? Top of my head. Because um, I guess they were paying a lease fee, like in Navarre, you pay a lease fee, a yearly lease fee, but then you're also paying your property taxes. So they felt like it was double taxation, and well, there so was a big lawsuit. We should we should maybe do a podcast on that. Yeah. <laughs> Next podcast. Well, episode. so when you look up when you leasehold, it does say you don't pay your property taxes, but you a lot of properties that we do assignments of leases on, you you are responsible for your property taxes. You still own the 
unit. Yeah, you just you don't own the land. Taxes. So it is kind of contradictory as far as when you look up, okay, what is... Anyway, I, I mean, you could go around and around. I still, even though we do it all the time, I still think sometimes, if I think too hard about it, that it sometimes doesn't make sense. But Our next podcast, Lisa. Dig deeper. Yes. <laughs> we'll do that next time. All right, well, I think that's going to do it for us today. It was short but sweet. So uh, join us next time. We're always looking for topics for guests. So if you're interested, drop it here. Shoot us a message. Check any of our Facebook or social media outlets that are going to appear right here magically below us. Give and, us a like. Uh, give us a like. Hit that smash, <laughs> smash that like button. Smash Is that, what that they say? like button. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, until next time, you're so take hip. care. Thanks. I'm so happy. <laughs>